Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We pray again that you would be our teacher tonight. Just as John the Baptist said, may I decrease, Lord, that your spirit would increase, Lord, that you would be glorified. And Lord, we pray that each of our hearts would be prepared to hear from you as we look at preparation for ministry tonight out of the book of Leviticus. Lord, I just pray that we would be prepared to be used for your kingdom, that, Lord, we would have a desire to be more than just those who know about you, but, Lord, that we would know you in an intimate and a personal way. And, Father, we'd be contagious to a world around you that is so desperate for you. So, Father, I just pray again, just be, may we be receptive to your word. May you be our teacher. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. The first seven chapters, we looked at the five offerings in Leviticus, and, and again, what an awesome picture of Jesus Christ. As you go through Leviticus, what you saw over and over and over again was that each of the sacrifices pointed to attributes of our Savior, and it also showed us how that, examples of how we might live as well. The first three offerings were the burnt, the grain, and the peace offering. Remember, those were free will offerings. Then we saw the sin and the trespass offerings, and every one of those offerings were sacrifices that we're looking forward to the coming Messiah. Now, we take communion today. We don't have sacrifices anymore. Aren't you glad? Praise God. We're not dragging lambs in here on Sunday morning and slitting lambs. But thank you, Jesus. We don't have to do that. But we do have communion. And as the sacrifices look forward to the coming Messiah, communion looks back upon the cross. They didn't fully understand what the sacrifices meant. They knew that the, the awfulness of sin, as we're going to talk about tonight, the burnt offering was completely consumed, a picture of the fact that our Savior was totally dedicated and the fact that He laid down His life completely for us. The grain offering was a picture of Christ's perfection. If you want to hear about the details and all these, you can get the tapes. The peace offering was a picture of the fact that Christ truly is the Prince of Peace. You know, the world's looking for peace. If you want to know peace, you need to know the Prince of Peace. Amen? You cannot have peace just because the bombs stop dropping. That's not the definition of peace. The definition of peace is knowing the creator of the universe, the Prince of Peace, our Savior, Jesus Christ. We then saw that you had to have the burnt offering and the grain offering and the sin offering before you could have the peace offering. Because without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness for sin. Without forgiveness for sin, you and I would never, ever be able to have peace. Then we then got to the sin offering, which is a picture of, of God sending His Son to pay the price for us, the price that you and I could not pay restoring sinful man back to holy God. And it just deals with basically man's depravity and the sinfulness of men. By the way, one of the big things that you hear a lot in the cults today is that man is inherently good. How many of you ever heard that before? Right? Man's inherently good. For the most part, man's good. And we just need to sum up that goodness from within us. Well, I'm sorry, that ain't the case. Man is inherently wicked. Man is inherently sinful. All you got to do is look around the world that we live in and tell me if we're inherently good or inherently sinful. Amen? And it's because of our sinfulness that we are separated from God, and that's why He sent His Son. And so the sin offering is really dealing with the depravity of man and the nature of man that we might be restored back to a holy God. And then the last offering was the trespass offering. And that was an offering that was made for specific, deliberate sins. It was a, basically the, the offerings that we still make today, you and I, we're Christians. If you've given your life to Jesus Christ, you've been born again. You've been adopted into the family of God, and you're going to heaven. Praise God for that. But do you still sin? What's the answer? Absolutely. So when you sin, you still need to bring, have that place of restoration, of broken fellowship between you and God. And so that's where that, that basically this trespass offering was pointing to, is restoration in the heart and the life of those who already believed in God. So as sinners, we need a sacrifice. Now tonight, we're going to see that as believers, we need a priest. Now I don't want to get you confused because the reality is that we don't need any more man-made priests. Amen? 
There are no, we don't need priests on the planet anymore. I, you know, if you're Catholic or you've got a background where you had priests at another church, here's the reality. Look at Scripture. The priesthood was done away with when Jesus Christ paid the price. Amen? You know who's the great high priest today? It's Jesus. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. Why do I need to go talk to a man and have him give me absolution for sin when Jesus Christ said, it is finished and the price has been paid and he's seated at the right hand of the Father making intercession for me daily? But we do need a priest, but the priest that we need is Jesus. But we're going to see tonight that back in the Old Testament, they did have priests. And the first priests were Aaron and his sons. And they were consecrated by God, set apart by God, to be the ones that would intercede between man and God. That's what a priest does. A priest is one who intercedes with God on behalf of the people and intercedes with people on behalf of God. Now, I don't want to confuse you, but the Bible does say that you and I are part of today what is called a royal priesthood. And what that means is that you and I are called to be God's example to men, and we are still called to go and intercede on behalf of man to God. We, you and I can pray and speak to God, but sinful man cannot. Okay? So we go and intercede on behalf of our co-workers who don't know the Lord. And we're part of that, what is called the royal priesthood. But there's only one great high priest, there's only one intercessor that, that can go between man and God and pay for our sin, and that's the man and God, Jesus Christ. So the high priest is Aaron, and he's a picture of Jesus Christ. And his sons, as we look at tonight, will be a type or a picture of the church, or, or us. And so we, again, are called to represent God to sinful men. So tonight, as we look in detail at the setting apart of these guys, we're also going to see clear application for each one of us and God's design for setting us apart to do His will. So here's the title of the message. If you're taking notes, let me give you a, a, a quick outline. Preparation for ministry. How many of you are called to be in ministry? Raise your hand. Every single hand in here ought to be up because if you gave your life to Jesus Christ, you're called. And we'll see that tonight. Amen? And so now it's a matter of what my calling is. So since I'm called, it's great to see this preparation for ministry for Aaron and his sons has application for us several thousand years after Leviticus chapter 8 was called. So the first thing we're going to see is calling. The Lord, it's the Lord who commands uh, men to be anointed by God. It's God who calls. Second, we'll see after calling comes equipping. God, God doesn't call the equipped, He equips the called. He doesn't say, okay, you've got a Bible degree, okay, I'll call you. That's not how it works. God calls us first, and then He equips us. And so we'll see after calling comes equipping, and the equipping will include being washed, being clothed, and then being anointed. Then we'll see after calling and equipping comes a transforming of our lives and our hearts, and they'll be typified in the different uh, sacrifices. Then we'll see the fact that we're anointed for service and finally consecrated. Now the word consecrated, I don't want you to get thrown off by that word because all it means is set apart for holy use. When you consecrate something, you take it and say, this is going to be used specifically for God. That's what consecrated means. And so if you want to have, live a consecrated life, you're saying, I want my life to be set aside specifically to be used for God. So we're going to see that tonight as we go through, and we're going to find out something that preparation for ministry requires patience. You know, Jesus lived on earth 30 year, 33 years. 30 years of preparation for three years of ministry, and he's God in the flesh. Amen? And we get it the opposite way. Now we do three years of preparation for 30 years of ministry. And we're bummed out we've got to wait three years, right? I mean, we, we want, we, we're impatient when it comes to God's calling on our lives. And there should be a, a desire to do the work of, of the Holy Spirit that God's placed upon us, but we need to be patient. What about Moses? 
40 years that he reigned with, with Pharaoh. And he was learning for 40 years to be somebody. Then he spent 40 years out in the backside of the desert, desperate, broken, learning to be nobody. 40 years learning to be somebody, 40 years learning to be nobody, that he might minister to everybody. Amen? I mean, God brought him to a place where he was elevated and lifted up, and then God brought him to a place where he was broken, and finally he was then ready to be used by God to minister to God's people. You know, the trials that we go through, the backside times on the desert, all of that is preparation for ministry. So that's what we're going to see tonight. So let's begin in verse 1, as we first look in preparation for ministry at calling. And it says, And the Lord spoke to Moses and said, Take Aaron and his sons with him, and the garments, the anointing oil, a bull as a sin offering, two rams, and a basket of unleavened bread. So Lord, once again, who does he communicate with? He communicates with Moses. As we've talked about over and over again, he's speaking to Moses because Moses is the one who's closest to him. Remember that Moses was the only one, Moses and Joshua, were the only ones that, were, that went away to be with the Lord for that 40 days. Moses is up on the mountain. Joshua's waiting at the bottom of the mountain for Moses to come back. And what was the rest of Israel doing for the most part? Partying, throwing a rager, and worshiping a golden calf. Okay? So it's no wonder God's talking to Moses and none of them knuckleheads down there. I mean, Aaron, that he's going to be anointing, was the one that made the golden calf. Remember that? And remember when they asked him about the golden calf, he said, oh, yeah, we, you know, it just popped out of the thing. Yeah, it, just, it made itself. Nice try, Aaron, okay? Now, this is going to be the high priest. But Moses, it says that God told him to, to take Aaron and his sons. Note that these guys are called by God, not elected by men. Amen? They didn't have election. They didn't say, okay, Moses, I want you to go down, and I want you to form four or five political parties. And then what I want you to do, I want you to have a primary. And then I want people to go out and have fundraisers. And then, and then we'll, we'll have some nominations. And then we'll pick some guys to be the priests. But sadly, that's what's happening in many churches today. People are voting for the pastor. Let me tell you something. It's not a democracy in the church. Amen? It's a theocracy and God is in control. Amen? God knows what he's doing a little better than us. Look at some of the people we've elected. Not good, right? Amen? So here's the reality. We want to trust in God, not be elected by men, and we want to make sure that God has called somebody. Not that we, we, we drum up support. Well, he's a really nice guy. You know, that's how you end up having pastors of churches that aren't even saved. There are a lot of churches in this town where the pastor doesn't know Jesus. How did that happen? Well, he went to school and he had a good resume and looked pretty good, so we put him in there. And the sad part is because he's not saved, most of his people aren't, and the Word of God's not being taught, and then he got a biblically ignorant generation. And so we don't look for election by men, we look for calling by God. Amen? And when someone's called by God, there's no doubt. Holy Spirit is not the author of confusion. Amen? I've never had any doubt about guys that I see, oh man, God's got his hand on that person. Oh, God's got their hand on that person. And I also have no doubt when I've gone into a church and sat down before, and the guy teaching the Bible was not called. Or the worship leader was not called. You're, oh, suffering, right? Five minutes seems like five hours, right? And if someone's called by God, five hours seems like five minutes. And the same is true whether it's the bookstore or the children's ministry or handing out the bulletins. When someone's called by God and anointed by God, it's a get-to, it's never a have-to, it's a joy, and it's never a burden. And so we see here that it said, take Aaron and his sons. He didn't say have an election, don't vote for who you think it ought to be. He said, these are the guys. They're pointed out and called by God, and I love that. So God calls these guys. And today, again, 
How, were they, how did they become ministers after Aaron? They, they came into the ministry by what? Who remembers? By birth. Every son of Aaron would then become, the sons of Aaron would become the priest, and that's where the high priest would come from. So how do we get into ministry today? By rebirth. Amen? When you are born again, you become a new creation in Christ, and you are now born into the ministry. God didn't save you to be a pew potato. Amen? Or a hard chair potato in our case, right? God didn't call you so you could just sit around and sit in the chair, just keep feeding, be the biggest, fattest sheep in Santa Cruz County. God called you to use you for His glory. And so when you are saved, when you're born again, when you've been that rebirth, you're born into the ministry. So as it says in Revelation chapter 1, To him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, he has made us kings and priests to, to, God, to his God and Father. Aaron's the high priest, the sons were the priests by birth, Jesus is the great high priest, and we are the priests serving under him by rebirth, representing again the people to God. When you're born again, you're called by God both to salvation and to ministry. Now, what's the most important ministry that you and I have? You're all called, I just told you, so what's the most important ministry that you have? Ministering to who? To God. The most important ministry is this one. God called us and he saved us to have fellowship with us. So the most important ministry that you and I have is ministering to the Lord that we might minister for the Lord. When you have an intimate love relationship with God, you can't help but minister for him. I love my wife and I love my children. And so when I walk into a room, I love to introduce my wife and my kids to people because I love them. I love to talk about my children because they're my kids and I would die for them. But you know what? We should love the Lord even more. And because we're in love with him, we should have that same burden, that same desire, that same calling for ministry, first to minister to him that we might minister for him. Now it says bring the garments. So these are the priestly garments, and we're going to go into this in a minute. And bring the oil and the bowl and the rams and the unleavened bread. These would be items that would be necessary to consecrate Aaron and his son, sons for ministry. Look at verse 3. It says there, And gather all the congregation together at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. All the congregation. Calling an Aaron, of Aaron and his sons was done before all the people so that all the people would know that this was God that did it. You know, whenever we call somebody here, I mean, we don't call them God did. And you know what happens every time I say, hey, you know what, we're going to just, we're going to lay hands on somebody and ordain them as a new pastor. Whenever they come up, everybody goes, well, duh. Right? I mean, people all think, oh, wasn't he a pastor already? Because it's not something that you're called, it's something that you are. And you don't do ministry, we are ministers. Amen? And that's what we're all called to do. And here they would bring them in front of the whole congregation because they wanted everybody to know that God has called these guys. So that when Aaron would stand up in the place of the Lord and make sacrifice, they would understand he's called by God. God's the one who put him there, not men. It wasn't a vote of men, it was calling by God. And only Moses was the one. People knew that Moses had been hanging out with the Lord. So when Moses came and anointed these guys, they said, oh yeah, that's the Lord, we, we, we get it, okay? That's the hand of God. So they called the entire congregation together. They didn't have a Wednesday night vote when everybody was out of town. You know what I mean? They didn't say, oh, we've got to get that guy in there, man. Let's wait till, you know Memorial Day weekend, and we'll have one on Wednesday, and we won't tell anybody, and we'll get a, we'll get a quorum together, we'll vote the guy in, and nobody will be able to get him out. You know, there's churches like that, where instead of called by God and brought before the whole body of Christ and say, this is the Lord, it's finagled through politics. Now, it says there, 
So did Moses, verse 4, as the Lord commanded him. And I like that. Moses is always doing as the Lord commanded him. That's a good thing to do. Amen? Do as the Lord commands you. And then it says, And the congregation was gathered together at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Now, the door of the tabernacle of meeting, those of you who are here when we went through Leviticus, remember, what is the door representation of? Very good. Jesus. It's Jesus. Remember John 10, what did Jesus say? I am the door of the sheepfold. Remember we talked about the fact that in the tabernacle there was only one way in and one way out. We talked about what the, the door was made out of. It was specific material, and different color, all of which pointed to Jesus Christ. And so they gathered together at the door of the tabernacle. Jesus is the only way in. And again, the same, it was made of the same material that was later used in the veil. You guys remember the veil in the temple? What happened to the veil when Jesus was crucified? It was torn, because it says in Hebrews that the veil is his flesh. And so, because if his flesh had been torn, you and I could enter in right now. That's why we can pray driving down the freeway, and we can enter into that most holy place in covenant with Almighty God and fellowship with him. And so, they met by that door, that picture of Jesus Christ. And again, only one way is through him. And so, calling, ministry, gifts, anointing, good works, intimacy with the Father, all of that can only come through Christ. And so, they meet at the door of the tabernacle. Verse 5, And Moses said to the congregation, This is what the Lord commanded to be done. This is not the opinions of the 50 smartest people in town. This is not the guy who's got the most money, so this is the guy we're electing. He says, This is what the Lord has commanded us to do. You know what? When you share your faith, you should be sharing what? The Word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by what? Word of God. And not the opinions of Dave or the opinions of Joe or the opinions of someone else. It's not our opinions that save people. It's not how eloquent our arguments are. It's the Word of God that transforms lives. And he says, this is what the Lord has commanded. This is what God says we're supposed to do. And so this is what we're going to do. You've got to like Mo. Mo's a good guy. And says, so this is what the Lord commanded. Again, calling originates with God, not with men. So we've got the calling we know where it originates. It originates with God. And so we're going to go from calling now to equipping. The man's been called, and now he must be equipped. All right? And the equipping must come from God. Verse 6. And Moses brought Aaron and his sons and washed them with water. Now, washing them. It's interesting because just on Sunday, those of you here on Sunday, we looked at John 13. And John 13, Jesus did what with the disciples? What did he do? He washed their feet. And do you remember he went to Peter? And Peter first said, no, never, you shall never wash my feet. You guys remember that? And then, he, then the Lord said, if I don't wash your feet, you'll have no part of me. Then what did Peter say? Wash my whole body. Oh, well, just give me a bath, right? And so we go back here to this consecration, and this actually is a bath. Right here, this is a head-to-toe bath. And the reason is that these guys are being consecrated and set apart and equipped for ministry. And before they can be equipped for ministry, they must first be cleansed. Amen? You know, it amazes me. You've got churches where they hire someone to lead worship who's a good guitar player, but he's not saved. That guy ain't been cleansed. Amen? We will never do that here. We will hum, and I'll tap my foot before we do that. Amen? You know why? Because you want somebody who's called by God, who's gifted by the Spirit of God, because they can't take you to a place they've never been themselves. I don't care if it's Jimi Hendrix, right? I don't care how great he is on the guitar. If he doesn't know Christ, he can't take you there. And so we see here that the equipping comes first with the washing, with the cleansing, head to toe. And these guys were washed. Now it's interesting that the Bible refers to water in a couple different ways. 
Remember that water is referred to in Ephesians 5. It says, sanctify and cleanse her, this is speaking of your wife, with the washing of the water by what? The Word of God. John 15, 3 says, you are already clean because the Word which I have spoken to you. Psalm 119.11 says, Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against thee. So what is it that cleanses us? It's the word of God. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. So a man's been called, so how now is he or she equipped? Through the word. You want to be used mightily by God? Crack this thing open. Amen? And the number one place you ought to grow, and I pray that you're growing on Sunday and Wednesday. If not, it's pretty tragic, right? I need to go home and cry my pillow or something. But hopefully you're growing on Sunday and Wednesday, but the number one place you ought to be growing ought to be at home. You know, if, if you ate once a week, first of all, none of you eat once a week, or you, you'd all be a lot thinner than you are, okay? If we only ate once a week, we'd be starving to death. And you know, we don't, we don't walk around and go, you know, I'm weak and weary, I don't know. Oh, I know, I haven't eaten in 10 days, that's my problem. We don't do that. We make sure that our flesh is fed, right, on a regular basis, right? And we haven't eaten in two hours. I'm starving, man, right? We've got to make sure that, the, you know, the fridge, every time you go buy it, you open that thing up, right? Well, here's the reality. The Bible says we're to desire the Word of God more than our necessary food. So more than the taqueria, right? You should desire the Bible, the Word of God. This should be the thing you desire above all else. And so you want to, you're called by God. You want to be equipped. The first thing you need to do is read the book. Don't wait for the movie. Crack open the Bible and let God speak to you. Amen? This is His intimate love letter to us. So let's open up the Word. So the number one thing is, that happens is that the Word cleanses us. Verse 7. And He put the tunic on Him and girded Him with the sash. Now, not only does He equip us by washing us and cleansing us with the Word, but then He clothes us. Now, those of you who are here in Exodus, in Exodus 29, we looked at these in detail. I'm going to take a few minutes and describe each one of these articles of clothing and tell you what it points to and show you how it relates to us today. So first thing He put on Him was a tunic. Now, for the, for the high priest, this was the, the, he had undergarment, and then over the undergarment, the very first layer was this all-white tunic, almost like a robe, and it was white and clean. And the tunic was a representation of the righteousness of God. And again, not right living, but right standing. You know, we're not righteous because we live right. We're righteous because we're, we've been born again and through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? You're not righteous because you live right. You're righteous because you're standing in the right place, right? You're standing with him. You're standing on the rock. So it's not right living, it's right standing. And so the first article was a tunic, and it was all white, and again, a picture of the righteousness of God. Then it says there, the next thing is, and he girded him with a sash. Now a sash is a belt, and where the tunic points to righteousness, the sash or the belt would point to servanthood. It's interesting, again, in John 13, what did Jesus do before he washed their feet? He girded himself. Amen. And what that means is he, he took and he pulled up his, you know, his clothing, pulled up his robe so he could be free to move around. And when you put the belt on, it would free you to walk, it would free you to work, and it would free you to war. And so they would gird themselves when they were taking a long walk on a road. They would gird themselves when they were getting ready to serve. And so it says here that the priest had a belt along with this robe because it was a picture not only of the righteousness of God, but the heart of God to serve, to be a servant. And so you and I, too, should desire to be holy for He is holy, and you and I, too, should have a desire to be servants. If you want to be great in God's kingdom, learn to be the servant of all. It says also there that along with the sash, He clothed them with a robe. 
Now this robe went up on top of the tunic and it was all blue. And if you remember from our time in Exodus that blue points to what? Who remembers? Deity of Christ, heavenlies, right? The heavenlies. And so we see here that again, this blue points to deity. So you've got righteousness, you've got servanthood, you've got deity. All of this can only be encompassed in one person, and that's in Jesus Christ. It's interesting that Jesus was heavenly minded. When Jesus came, his whole focus was on doing the will of the Father. And I've heard Christians say this. People that aren't walking with God, I don't think, they'll say, oh man, that guy's so heavenly minded, he's no earthly good. I haven't met that person yet. I've met a lot of people that are so earthly minded, they're no heavenly good. I meet those people all the time. That their focus is all on the world and the things of the world. And you know what? We need to be seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. We get depressed and bummed out when things go sideways in the physical because we're focused on the world. But if our eyes are on God, it doesn't matter what happens. Somebody can come and tell me right now that I've got cancer and I have a week left to live. Let me ask you a question. Is God still in control? Is God still on the throne? Am I still going to heaven? Is he still faithful? Does he still love me? Is his plan still perfect? Yes, 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 yes. And so if your mind's focused on God, it doesn't matter what happens because you're seeking first his kingdom. And so this blue robe is a picture of the deity of the high priest, the great high priest. Aaron was not deity, but he was a picture of the deity that was to come, Jesus Christ. Now, on the bottom of that robe, it doesn't mention it here in the text, but remember that there was, there was a, uh, something on the bottom of that robe. Who remembers? Anybody? Pomegranates and bells. And remember, we remember like pomegranates. What got pomegranates on the bottom of their robe? What's up with that, right? What kind of fashion statement was that? They were having a big sale down at the five and dime or what on the pomegranate buttons? I mean, how did that happen? But you know what? Everything in the Bible is in there for a reason. And do you know that a pomegranate is the, is the fruit that has the greatest number of seeds? And it bears the greatest amount of fruit. And what happens? How many of you ever eaten a pomegranate before? Don't eat it with a white shirt on, right? If you take a pomegranate out and you take a bite, what happens? Red stuff goes everywhere. Isn't it interesting that it bears great fruit, greater fruit than any other fruit ever given, and what does it do? It breaks open and red stuff pours out everywhere. I believe a picture of the blood of Christ. They got pomegranates on here, but it was for a reason. The most fruitful of all fruits, the one that bears the greatest amount of fruit, and it's got this red stuff that pours out of it when you just open it up. A picture, again, of the coming Messiah. Now, they had bells on the hymns, too. And you might wonder, why would they have bells? You've got to remember in the tabernacle that only the priests would go into the holy place in the Holy of Holies. And those bells were to let them know that the guy wasn't dead. They literally could listen to him from the outside. And he, he goes over to the table of showbread, and they could hear him moving around because they could hear the bells. And, and it, later on, when they would go into the holy place, they would tie a rope around him in case the guy died so they could drag him back out because if anybody else went into the Holy of Holies, what happened to him? They dropped dead. So they were like, we better put some bells on this guy. But God put it there because they could hear him. You could hear him move from place to place. But the pomegranates, again, were a picture, I believe, of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Now it says there, under the robe, that he put the ephod on him. Now an ephod, think of it this way, it's like an apron. It goes over the top, it's got straps on the shoulders, and it comes down, it's held together with these two shoulder straps. Now we know from the other text that on the shoulder straps... They put onyx stones. And on top of each one of those onyx stones, they put, the, they put six of the tribes' names on this shoulder and six of the twelve tribes of Israel's names on this shoulder. And what that's a picture of, that our great high priest is the one that carries our burdens for us. 
that all of them were founded on what? This onyx stone, this rock, and that Jesus Christ would be the one that would carry our burdens for us. And isn't it interesting that what did Jesus do? He carried the cross where? On his shoulder. And he did the same for us. He does it today. He says his, his yoke is easy and his burden is light, and he carries our burdens here and now. And so as we see, as we go through this clothing, all of it again, picturing Jesus Christ. Now the ephod was unique in that it was made of four colors. It was blue, purple, scarlet, and fine white linen. Now remember, blue a picture of the heavenlies. Purple was always a picture, still is today, of what? Royalty. Who's the king of kings and the lord of lords? Jesus Christ. It was also scarlet, a picture of the shed blood of Jesus Christ, and then fine white linen, a picture of, again, his righteousness or his holiness, and that's what the ephah was made of. The ephah itself also had a woven belt. Now, it says there, and he girded him with intricately woven band of the ephod, and with it tied the ephod on him. Now, the ephod was a picture of authority. It was almost like a badge. It'd be like in the army today where they put stripes on their arms. And the ephod was a representation. If they saw someone walking with an ephod, they'd say, oh, that's a representation or a picture of authority. And isn't it interesting that the authority was held together with the belt? What's the belt the representation of? I just talked about it. What is it? Servanthood. And isn't it interesting that authority and servanthood go hand in hand? Who's the greatest authority ever? It's the Lord. And who's the greatest servant ever? It's the Lord. And you know what? If you want to have authority, be a servant. If you want to have God put you in a position of authority, be a servant. You know what I love? I love looking at people that God's got a calling on their life, and they're being used mightily by God in other ways, but they don't lose the fact that they're a servant. That's what we're all called to be. Pastor means servant. It means under rower. Under rower. Guy at the bottom of the boat, rowing away, while everybody's up top dancing and having their buffet dinner, right? I mean, that's what the pastor's supposed to be doing. And people get it all mixed up, and they think the pastor's the head of the... Jesus Christ is the head of the church. Amen? Pastor means servant. And so the world says you equate greatness by how many people serve you, but the Bible tells us that greatness is determined by how many people you serve. You want to be great in God's kingdom? Learn to be the servant of all. Jesus is the Lord of all, and he is also the servant of all. Authority must be linked with servanthood. So we move on from the ephod, and from this uh, picture of authority, and it says, then he put a breastplate on him. Now the breastplate, if you guys remember, went on the ephod, and those of you who were here when we went through uh, Exodus, it was nine inches by nine inches roughly, and it had four rows, had 12 stones on it. Now each of the stones was a representation of what? One of the 12 tribes of Israel. They were each beautiful. They were all valuable. They were all precious gems, and yet every one of them was different. And I like that, because I believe that each one of them would reflect light in a different way. They had different colors, but each one of them was near and dear to the heart of the high priest. They were all different. They were all precious. They reflected light in a different way, but they were all near and dear to the heart of the high priest. What's that a picture of? Of us. We're all different, amen? But we're all precious in his sight. And you know what? We're all the most valuable thing in the world to him. And we all reflect his light in a little bit different way because of the callings he's placed upon our lives. But we're all near and dear to his heart. And man, I like that a lot. And that's who we are with God. Everybody here is a gem. He esteems you. He values you. 
As the light of the world, He reflects Himself through you. You're near and dear to His heart. And you know what? I pray this, that we would see people the way the Lord does, that other people would be gems to us because they're precious to the Lord. You look at people that disgust you, think next time, Jesus died for him. Jesus would have gone to the cross just for him, just for her, just for my mean boss or my, my, you know, my pain in the neck neighbor, right? You know that person that's always mean and angry and bitter? Jesus died for him. And we need to start seeing them with his eyes and see that they're precious to him because we're precious to him. And it says on the breastplate, put the urim and the thummim in the breastplate. Now these were, the, the names there mean lights and perfections. They were linked to the 12 stones. And basically what they were was a white and a black stone. And what they would do, the priests, some of you have seen this no doubt in the Bible, they would have a, a decision they had to make and they would reach in with their hand and they would pull one of the stones out. And if it was a black stone, it would be a negative answer. If it was a white stone, it was a positive answer. And so basically that was the way that they would inquire of God. Did they have a Bible back then? The answer would be no. Okay? And God was talking and showing up and talking to some folks, but mainly guys like Moses who were hanging out with the Lord. But the high priest, God used this back in those days, and, and so they would put that in with the breastplate, a way to seek the heart of God. Verse 9. Then, he, then it says, And he put the turban on his head. Now a turban was a picture of submission and holiness. When you put a, a hat on, it was worn by, again, by people making intercession on behalf of others, and it was a picture of submission, an outward sign of being submitted, that I have covering over me. It was saying, I have a covering over me, and my covering is the Lord. And it says there in verse 9, that they, that they uh, also on the turban, on its front, he put a golden plate, the holy crown, as the Lord had commanded him. On this golden plate that went on the turban was inscribed the word holiness. And it's interesting that that means that the high priest had holiness on his mind. Right? He had the turban of submission and holiness on his mind. So everything that he had was a picture, again, of Christ. Now, I want to say this. In the New Testament, the Bible says we're to pray with our heads uncovered. Why? Why don't we need a hat anymore? Why don't we need a turban of submission? Why not? Jesus is our covering. Amen? And that's why some people get offended if someone's wearing a hat in church. I don't sweat it. You know what I mean? Here's the reality. All things, all people that we might win some. And people meet at the door, man, you've got to take it. Well, hey, my heart is, let, let God convict those folks, right? Let's just love them, and it's okay. I'm glad you're here. you got a hat on. God bless you. Amen? But it says that we're to pray with our, hats un, our heads uncovered because we no longer have to be submitted to the, to the old covenant. We're now under the covering of Christ. So every article, let me review them again. The tunic points to righteousness. The sash points to servanthood. The robe points to deity. The ephod points to authority. The breastplate points to compassion. Again, near and dear to his heart. The turban points to submission. So righteousness, servanthood, deity, authority, compassion, and submission. In other words, Jesus. Amen? Who do, who's the only one that's the fulfillment? Who's the only one that can be the great high priest? Who's the only one that fulfills every single one of those? Jesus Christ. Buddha couldn't do it. Ari Christian, the breastplate wouldn't have fit on Buddha anyway. He's too fat, right? I mean, it wouldn't have, nobody else could do it. Nobody else's deity. Nobody else's God made manifest in the flesh. It's Jesus Christ alone. And he is the fulfillment of what we're looking at here. Verse 10. Also Moses took the anointing oil and anointed the tabernacle and all that was in it and consecrated them. So the anointing oil. Now it's interesting. He went in and he took this oil. So not only in the equipping portion are we washed 
and then we're clothed in his righteousness. How many of you know you're clothed in righteousness? The Bible says that, right? You've been clothed in righteousness. But not only are we washed and then we're clothed, but then we're anointed. And the first thing that he anoints here is he goes and he anoints the articles in the tabernacle. Now, the priests have not been anointed yet. The tabernacle has now been built. And he goes in and he's, so what are some of the furnishings? Let's, just, let's have a little uh, test on those of you who are here in Exodus. What are some of the furnishings in the tabernacle? Somebody name one. Table of showbread. What else? The lampstand. What else? Altar of incense. What else? What was in the Holy of Holies? Ark of the Covenant. The altar burnt offering. The bronze laver. Right? And he anointed each one of those things. And I find it interesting that they anointed them and consecrated each one of them for holy use. So that means that the table of showbread was not to be used for a picnic. Right? They didn't go and drag the table of showbread out and take it out in the middle of the thing and, you know, and throw a bunch of food on it. It was specifically called and set aside for holy use, right? It was consecrated. They were not to take the golden lampstand out and run through the street with it, right? Hey, you know, celebrate. You know, they weren't supposed to do that because it was consecrated and set apart for a specific use. Now, I like this because not only did they anoint the furnishings in the tabernacle, but look at the very next verse. Look at verse 12. Let me read the rest of 11. So he sprinkled some of it on the altar seven times, anointed the altar and its utensils and the laver, and he consecrated them. So he consecrated the utensils, and he consecrated the furnishings. And notice how many times did he do it? How many? Seven times. Seven in the Bible is number of what? Completion or perfection. Okay? So seven times. Now, look at verse 12. And he poured some of the anointing oil on Aaron's head and anointed him to consecrate him. So that means that they're setting aside the table of showbread for a specific holy use. When he was anointed, what was happening to him? Same thing. He was being set aside specifically for holy use. You know what? That should be the heart of every one of us in this room. Amen? Amen? Set aside by God, anointed by God for holy use. Oil in the Bible is a type or picture of what? Holy Spirit. When you were born again and you gave your life to Jesus Christ, who came to live inside of you? Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit came in you, and then the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit can be upon you. And when He comes in you, remember the ministry I was telling you about, we're all called? Holy Spirit comes in you to set you apart, to consecrate you for holy use. God created you to use you. I love that. I'm glad that God, you know what, it's amazing to me because God could certainly do a better job than us. Amen? Couldn't he just open the sky and say, get saved, right? I mean, he could do that. And he'd do a lot better job than we do. And he would be a perfect, perfect example, and he'd never blow his testimony. And wouldn't have people walk around going, them Christians are a bunch of hypocrites. They would never say that. You never notice people have problems with Christians, but very few people have a problem with Christ. Have you ever noticed that? I mean, they'll blaspheme his name, and that's vile. But typically, you'll say, what do you have a problem with Christ? Well, not really, but it's the Christians, right? Because we blow it. But here is Almighty God, out of His love for us, He chooses to use us. Not only does He save us from hellfire and give us heaven, but then He chooses to use us to be salt and light to this world that is in such desperate need of Him. Again, notice that Aaron didn't anoint himself. Did Aaron go, give me some of that oil? I'm anointed, right? How many times have you heard people on TV say, I'm anointed? I'm not, man, I would toss my cookies every time. Man, I'm anointed. I heard a guy on TV saying that. My clothes are anointed. My hair is anointed. I'm like, dude, you ain't anointed nothing. God's the one who anoints, not you. 
Amen? You can, pour, you can pour all the Grecian formula in your hair you want. You're not anointed unless God does it. Amen? And Aaron didn't go in and start shaking olive oil on his head. He didn't go get the oil. God anointed him. Not man. He didn't anoint himself. You know what? If God wants to use you, and he does, and God calls you to do something, you won't have to force people to make it happen. You won't have to strive. You won't have to knock 14 walls down. It used to happen a lot when I was a youth pastor. We had a real big youth group in San Jose. Biggest youth group in San Jose. And people used to come all the time and say, you know, God's called me. I'm anointed to work with youth. And God wants me to come here and help you out. And I'd say, great, God bless you. Why don't you start showing up and, hey, in about three weeks we've got a trip. Maybe you can drive one of the vans. If you want to get here early and set up chairs, that'd be, oh, no, I'm anointed to teach. They're always anointed to teach. It's amazing how that always works. They're always anointed to be in the front, right? God, when God calls you, you won't have to fight. You won't have to knock walls down. God will put you in the position he wants you in. Amen? You just have to be available. We're going to see that as we continue on through the text. So he didn't anoint himself. God anointed him. And God anointed each one of you at salvation for holy use. Now look at Aaron's sons. This is a picture of us. But, but Moses brought Aaron's sons and put tunics on them. What are tunics again? Clothed in what? Righteousness. And he girded them with sashes. Sashes are a belt is a picture of what? Servanthood. And then it says, and he put hats or turbans on them as the Lord had commanded him. A hat is a picture of what? Submission. So as believers, the sons of Aaron being pictures of us, we are to walk in righteousness, be holy for I am holy. We've been, we're new creations in Christ. We're to be in submission to God, the picture of the hat, and we're to be servants. Amen? The great high priest is deity. We can't wear the blue robe. Can we wear the blue robe? No, because we're not deity. Right? But we can wear the belt and be servants. We can put on the tunic because we've been clothed in righteousness through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. We can wear the hat because we're submitted to the Lord. And those are the three things that Aaron's sons wore, and those are the three things that point to you and I. So, called by God, and then equipped for ministry, washed, cleansed by the Word, and then clothed in His righteousness, and then finally anointed by the Holy Spirit, set apart for holy use. That's what God did with each one of you. That's what He desires to do with you. Hey, if you're wondering what life's all about, it's God's got a calling on your life and he wants to use you. Amen? I hear people all the time, man, I know what life's all about. Well, it's all about Jesus. And he's got a plan for me. And praise God for that. It's exciting. Now, after the calling and after the equipping comes the transformation. The transformation in our lives. The sacrifices that point to death. The death of our Savior on the cross. And then the death of our sin nature. The death of our will. The death of our passions. The Bible says, if any man desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. You're called by God? Then you've got to die. Right? Can't be all about you. By the way, God doesn't need you. Amen? Amen? That was weak. God, God doesn't need you, right? But we need him desperately. Amen? And so we need to die. And so we're going to go back to the sacrifices because, again, they're anointing Aaron as the high priest. They're bringing him in. They've clothed him in righteousness. He's been called by God. He's been anointed. And now they're going to make the sacrifices to show that this guy still needs the shed blood. Even though he's going to be put in this position of high priest, he still is in desperate need of a Savior. Okay? And we're also going to see a picture of what it points to with Christ. So the first offering of verse 14 is the sin offering. And he brought the bull of the sin offering. Then Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the bull for the sin offering. When they lay their hands on the offering, what does that point to? Who remembers? Identifying yourself. It's saying, this sacrifice is a representation of me. 
Okay? So they laid their hands on the head of the bull, Aaron and his sons, that it was a representation of them. Again, this sin offering will be an expression of Aaron and his son's sinfulness and their unworthiness. It'll be a confession of their personal sin, their guilt, and their own need for forgiveness. And so they represent themselves with this animal, and the death of the animal would represent the death of these men, that, they would, that there had to be death for there to be forgiveness. It says, and Moses killed it. So Moses took and slayed the animal. Then he took the blood and put some of the some on the horns of the altar all around with his finger and purified the altar. And he poured the blood at the base of the altar and consecrated it to make atonement for it. So he took some of the blood, he put it on his finger, and he put it on the four horns that were on the altar. Now remember, what are the horns a picture of? Who remembers? Picture of the cross. Remember that when Jesus died on the cross, there's four points on the cross, right? And each point, his, his hands were, were nailed in, in two of the sides, his feet were nailed, and there was a crown of thorns upon his head. He'd also been scourged, so there was blood at all four points of the cross. And so the priest, hundreds of years beforehand, takes the blood with his finger, and he places it on all four horns. And actually here it was Moses who did it. Now it's interesting to me that the law was written on the... the uh, the Ten Commandments was written on the tablets with what? Who remembers? The finger of God. What does the law do? It reveals that we're sinners, right? And so isn't it interesting that the finger of God wrote the law, and now the finger of the one appointed by God is going to put the blood on the four horns that's a picture of what gives forgiveness for the law being broken. Everything in the Bible fits perfect, you guys. If you open it up and you see a word in there and you wonder why it's there, it's there for a reason. So he places the blood on the horns again. And then he pours the rest of the blood beside the base of the altar. Again, a picture of the cross, because when Jesus died, we've talked about this repeatedly, it's not like these pictures you see in a magazine with a little trickle of blood running down Jesus' face. He was scourged, which means that there's probably very little or no skin left on his body. His organs were all exposed, and it was an incredible bloody mess. And so as they poured the blood out at the base of the altar, the altar being a picture of the cross, it was a picture of what would happen to Christ when he died for us. Verse 16. Then he took all the fat that was on the entrails, the fatty lobe, attached the liver and the two kidneys with the fat, and Moses burned them on the altar. The fat was considered what part of the, of the offering? The best part. It was the most tasty part, the best part, and so... It was given to the Lord. A picture of how you and I are to give the Lord our very best. Not give the Lord the rest, give Him the best. Amen? You know what? I never talk about giving here. You guys know that's true. But here's the reality. You can tell where your, where your walk is by looking in your checkbook. Amen? If you give God the last buck fifty you got, if you give God the last three and a half minutes of your night after you've been watching seven hours of TV and running around all day and you open up your Bible and you're, you know, you're, you, you know, you're doing the, the, the late night nod, right? And you're not, that's giving God the rest. That's not giving him the best, amen? We give God of our first fruits and they took the best part of the sacrifice and they offered it unto the Lord. And so that's what we should be doing, giving God our best, not giving God the rest. And what does it do? It produces a sweet aroma in the presence of the Lord. When we sacrifice unto Him, it's a blessing in His presence. Verse 17, But the bull, its hide, its flesh, and its offal, He burned with fire outside the camp as the Lord had commanded Moses. So the flesh, the rest of, the, the rest of this burnt offering, remember the entire burnt offering was consumed, a picture of, of Christ's total dedication. But what did they do with the rest of this offering? They took it outside of the camp. Why? Where was Jesus crucified? 
outside of the city gates of Jerusalem. So when they took this outside of the camp and they burnt it there, it was a picture of the fact that Jesus was carried outside of the city. Those of you who go to Israel with us in March, you're going to see it. You're going to see the spot. You're going to be able to look and see the city gate. You're going to see where Jesus walked out. You're going to see where he was crucified. You're going to see where he rose from the dead. Pretty awesome. Amen? And so that's what this is a picture of, again, hundreds of years before Jesus came. So the crucifixion was both the sweet aroma of redemption and the repulsion of sin all at the same time. So after the, after the sin offering came the burnt offering. Look what it says here in verse 18. Then he brought the ram as a burnt offering, and Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head, again identifying themselves with it, and Moses killed it, and then he sprinkled the blood all around on the altar. Again, a picture of what would happen with Christ. And he cut the ram into pieces, and Moses burned the head and the pieces and the fat. Remember we talked about the fact that the sacrificial system was an incredible bloody mess to point to the fact that sin is awful. That sin requires a heavy price. That salvation is a free gift, but it didn't come cheap. Amen? And so when they would make these sacrifices, it was such an incredible bloody mess that it pointed to how awful sin really was. So we've talked to it repeatedly. I'm not going to take a lot of time. But remember the ram? Go back to Mount Moriah. Abraham taking his son Isaac on, up on Mount Moriah. He's about to sacrifice him. At the moment he raises his sword, raises his knife, what does he see? A ram caught in the thicket. The Lord says, stop, I know you'll... you'll I know you'll give me your best. I know you'll give everything to me. You'll hold nothing back from me. And he turns and he sees a ram caught in the thicket. Again, this ram is a picture of Christ. One more time. Because the son should, could have died. It was his turn to die. And instead the ram took his place. A picture of what Jesus Christ did for each one of us. Verse 21. Then he washed the entrails and the legs in water, and Moses burned the whole ram on the altar. It was a burnt sacrifice for a sweet aroma, an offering made by fire to the Lord, as the Lord had commanded Moses. He washed the entrails. And this is a picture of the need for cleansing in our innermost being. You know what? We need to be forgiven for all of it. Amen? And here's the good news. I've said this before. He who knows you best loves you most. He knows every wicked, vile thing you've ever thought or done, and He loves you anyway. He loves you so much, He'd rather die than live without you. And this cleansing of the entrails is the cleansing of the dirtiest, vilest part of the animal. And it shows that that's what the cross did for us. That's what it did. It cleansed us of all unrighteousness. Even the thing that you think, oh, I couldn't be forgiven for that. Yes, you can. The Bible says where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that that's the God we serve? Aren't you glad that you don't get to a certain number of sin? Oh, that's it. You hit the limit. You're done. Game over. Oh, if you did that, oh, forget it. You can't be forgiven. I'm so thankful that our God loves us and He's willing to forgive us. This cleansing sacrifice, again, an act of obedience, a sweet aroma to the Lord, a work of redemption that came, again, at a very heavy, heavy price. The consecration offering, verse 22. And he brought a second ram. Now this would only happen at the consecration of the priest. The ram of consecration that Aaron and his son laid their hands on its head and Moses killed it. Now this is what's different. He took some of its blood and put it on the tip of Aaron's right ear, on the thumb of his right hand, and on the big toe of his right foot. Now why in the world did he do that? Right? They have one more offering, one more consecration. Remember, consecration being set apart to holy use. What do we do with our ears? We hear. What do we do with our hands? We serve or we work. And what do we do with our feet? We walk. And what he's doing right here is he's consecrating not just his life, 
But he's consecrating what he hears, what, it, what he takes in. He's consecrating what he does with his hands, that everything he does with his hands would be set apart and holy unto the Lord. And then he's consecrating where he walked. And that's what God's called us to do. You know, sometimes we think as Christians that, you know, we can check out a church and go home and just absorb the world. Hey, dads especially, I want to encourage you with something. The Bible says that you're to, to as, you know, Joshua said, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You know, if there's things in your house that are, that are putting dirt in your kids' ears, or is causing them to stumble in their walk, or causing you to stumble in your walk. Maybe you got some TV channels at your house with the initials HBO or something, right? And there's garbage on there that you know is not pleasing to the Lord. Turn that off. Amen? I mean, blood on your ear. You're consecrated not just into heaven, but God has called you to walk a holy life. Be holy for I am holy. Now, is this because God's a no-fun bummer God doesn't want you to do anything fun? Is that why? All right, put blood in their ear. I don't want to listen to nothing fun. Is that the God that we serve? It's because he loves us so much that he knows these things will bring harm to us. Why won't I let my three-year-old play on the freeway? Because I'm a no-fun bummer dad? Why won't I let my nine-year-old kid juggle knives in the kitchen? Oh, man, what a drag of a dad. Won't let me juggle knives. No, it's because I love my son. Amen? And so when God gives us direction in his word, it's not because he's a no-fun bummer God. It's because he loves you so very much that he knows that these things will bring harm to you. They will separate you from fellowship with him. It'll destroy your family. It'll get your eyes off of God and get your eyes on the world. I want to encourage you. The internet. Be careful. Amen? It can be a great tool. It can be used. We have a website. We get hit. Some bills tell me we had a hit on our website from Peru. I mean, people go on our website and they can download and listen to our messages. It's wonderful. But what's the number one industry on the internet? It's pornography. And you know what? The number one thing I'd hear from guys when I was a men's ministry pastor in San Jose, guys who were who I thought were just sold out for the Lord, wonderful guys, and they would come up and tell me they're addicted to internet pornography. You know why? Because the anonymity of it. They can do it at home and nobody knows wife's asleep or whatever, and they go onto this computer, and you know what? And if you're struggling with it, rip the computer out of the wall and throw the thing away. If a right eye offends you, pluck it out. And he's saying here, look, walk holy. You know, put your hands to holy things. Listen to only, take in. What kind of music are you listening to? What kind of stuff are you bringing into your head, right? Hey, I have to confess to you, when I was a teenager growing up, they didn't have Christian music. For the most part, I mean, you can listen to love song or something, but that wasn't quite getting it for me, you know what I mean? And so, I'll still now, I'll, I'll go into a store and they'll be playing like, you know, Van Halen, and I, I, I catch my, oh, I get, you know, and because I flash back to when I used to listen to that garbage, right? And you know, whatever you put into your mind, whatever you bring into your hands, the Bible says, you know what? Sanctify, be consecrated in the way you walk, in the way you live, and what you listen to. And this guy was called to be the high priest. Have an ear for the word of God. Do the work of God. Walk in the way of God. And then again, the blood all around the altar. What's that a picture of? One more time. It's a picture of Jesus, again, death on the cross. Verse 24, Then he brought Aaron's sons, and Moses put some of the blood on the tips of the right ears and the thumbs of the right hands and the big toes of the right feet, and Moses sprinkled blood all around the altar. So he not only did it to the high priest, okay, the one who's a picture of Christ, did Jesus Christ walk in holiness? Of course he did. Did he serve? Yes, he did. Did he have an ear for the heart of the Father? Yes, he did. 
But I love the fact that they also anoint Aaron's sons because the sons are a picture of us. And we too should have the same heart that our, that our Savior has. Verse 25 through 27, the wave offering. We're almost done. Then he took the fat and the fat tail and all the fat that was on the entrails and the fatty lobe and attached to the, lither, to the liver and the two kidneys and their fat on the right th- and the right thigh. And from a basket of unleavened bread that was before the Lord, he took one unleavened cake, a cake of bread anointed with oil and one wafer and put them on the fat and the fat on, of the right, on the right thigh. Now what they did here is they took the, 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 this wave offering, which was an act of worship, and it was a representation to the Lord before placing it on the altar. They presented it to God. And they took the best of the sacrifice, the fat of the ram. They took the unleavened bread. What is leaven a picture of? Sin. So unleavened bread. And they mixed it with or anointed it with oil, a picture of the Holy Spirit. And they held it up to God first. And then they sacrificed it. They presented it to the Lord. You know, the Bible says that we're to be, what, living what? Sacrifices. And we're to present ourselves to God as a living sacrifice and then offer ourselves and say, Lord, I want to die that you might live within me. Less of me, Lord, and more of you. Man, that's radical stuff, isn't it? But you know what? Do we need a little few more radical Christians today? Do we need some more people sold out for Christ? We got people picketing everything under the sun, man. People coming out of the closet for all kinds of stuff. We need to be coming out of the closet for Jesus, amen? We need to be a little more bold about our faith. We need to be excited about Him. Hey, I'm, I love the Lord. How about you? Amen? And, oh, man, that's radical. But Pastor Dave, man, I mean, come on, man. This Sunday and Wednesday's good, right? Right? I mean, do we got to do the whole sold-out thing? Let me ask you a question. How much did he love you? How much did he love you? How much should we live for him? We want to see Santa Cruz County turned right side up, not upside down. It's already upside down. Amen? Do you want to see this county turn right side up? We want to see Santa Cruz, Holy Cross, be a place where God is glorified once again. Let's be sold out for the Lord. By the way, reminds me of something. Pray for May 19th. I got a call today, and I'm invited with a few other pastors in town to go and pray with the mayor of Santa Cruz on May 19th. How about that? Talk about God, right? And so she said, yeah, I would love for you guys to come and pray that I have direction for Santa Cruz and that, you know, oh, oh yeah. I, the guy, you want to come? Yeah, I'm coming. And so be praying for that. My heart is that we would do something to this city. That, God, that we'd be so in love with the Lord that people would start to see it in us. Amen? That God would be glorified. Praise the Lord, I mean, for the opportunities that He gives us every single day. Verse 28, Then Moses took some from their hands and burned them on the altar of burnt offering. And they were consecration offerings for a sweet aroma that was an offering made by fire to the Lord. And so the consecration, again, in Hebrew it means to fill the hands. That's what the word means, consecration. So you don't come to the Lord and say, Lord, what can I give you? It's... You hold out your hands and say, Lord, what do you want to do with me? Amen? Not what can I give you. He doesn't need anything from me, but he wants to fill my hands. Amen? Come with empty hands and say, Lord, use me. Lord, I'm av-. he's not looking for ability. He's looking for availability. May we be available to be used for the kingdom. And again, he took what was placed in their hands and he offered it to the Lord. Verse 29. And Moses took the breast and waved it as a wave offering before the Lord. It was Moses' part of the ram of consecration as the Lord had commanded Moses. Again, Moses was being provided for from the sacrifice. Just as today, we provide for those in full-time ministry from that which is given. Okay? The missionaries in the mission field are given. Pastors in churches, given. People on staff full-time that pray for you, that's where they're provided for us from the gifts and the sacrifices that are made. Verse 30. Then Moses took some of the anointing oil and some of the blood which was on the altar and sprinkled it on Aaron and on his garments and on his sons and on the garments of his sons with him. And he consecrated Aaron and his garments, his sons, and the garments of his sons with him. 
So next thing that happens is they're anointed to serve. And notice what's sprinkled on them. Two things. Blood and oil. Why? Blood is a picture of redemption, and an oil is a picture of the Holy Spirit. We must be born again, and we must be filled with the Spirit. Those are the two requirements to be used by God. You want to be equipped for ministry? You want to be prepared for ministry? These are two musts. You must be redeemed, and you must be filled with the Spirit of the living God. Verse 31. And Moses said to Aaron and his sons, Boil the flesh at the door of the tabernacle of meeting and eat it there with the bread that is in the basket of consecration, uh, uh, consecration offerings. As I've commanded, saying to Aaron and his sons, shall eat it. Now the next thing that happens is they're now consecrated. And, as, and through this consecration or being set apart, they're to take and eat of this offering. And it says, what remains of the flesh and of the bread you shall burn with fire. So the remainder of the meat of this consecration offering was taken and to be eaten by Aaron and his sons. So this meat and this bread was to be taken and eaten. Remember in John 6, Jesus said, Whoever eats of my flesh and drinks of my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. You were to take a portion of that offering and eat it. Why? It was a picture of assimilating the Lord within yourself. It wasn't just knowing about God, but having an intimacy with God. Man, verse 33. And you shall not go outside the door of the tabernacle of meeting for seven days until the days of your consecration are ended. For seven days you shall consecrate you. He shall consecrate you. As he has done this day, so the Lord has commanded to do to make atonement for you. Therefore you shall stay at the door of the tabernacle of meeting for day and night for seven days and keep the charge of the Lord so you may not die. For so I have, so I have been commanded. Now, they wait seven days. So they've been washed, they've been clothed, they've been anointed. They've had blood applied, they've, they've been given their priorities, and then they're told to stay for seven days. How many, how many of you can relate to that in your life? Lord, but you got the whole thing mapped out, now you want me to wait. Be still and know that I'm God. Unless you have intimacy with the Father, unless you're ministering to the Lord, you cannot minister for the Lord. They have to wait seven days, and for seven days they made all three of these sacrifices every single day. They kept putting the blood on their thumb, blood, putting the blood on their foot, putting the blood on their ear, making the sacrifices. It was a constant reminder and preparation for how God was going to use them. But it said, if they left early, what would happen? Look what it says there. I'm closing with this. They would what? They would die. You know what? A lot of ministries die. You know why they die? No intimacy with the Father. If you don't have intimacy with God, the ministry you're involved in is going to die. And then lastly, so Aaron and his sons did all the things the Lord had commanded him by the hand of Moses. So preparation for ministry. Calling. It originates with God, not with men. You've been born again, you're called. Equipping. Washed by the word. Clothed in his righteousness. Anointed and gifted by the Spirit. Then the work of transformation in our lives. That by nature we become a new creation in Christ. No longer our will, but his will be done. That we're set apart to live holy in the things that we speak, the things that we hear, the works that we do, and the, walks that, and the, the way that we walk. And then lastly, we're consecrated. Our sins have been atoned for. We've been supernaturally called. We've been equipped. We're dead to self. We're anointed for service in intimate fellowship with the Father. You know what? It's not what you can do for God, but what God des desires to do through you if you'll just let Him. It's not what you can do for God. God wants to use you. He's already promised you that. He's already told you that He's called you into ministry because we saw it right here in the text tonight. Now it's just you saying, Lord, use me. And you know what? That's an awesome thing. When you just come to the Lord and say, use me, He will. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for your word. And I just thank you, Lord, for the fact that even though this is written 
several thousand years ago. It still applies to every life in here tonight. And we thank you that you are our great high priest, that you intercede on our behalf daily for our shortcomings. Father, I pray for each one of us, Lord, you just help us, Father God, to be sold out and set apart to you. That, Lord, that we would come not trying to give to you from our, our works, but, Lord, we'd come with empty hands and just say, Lord, would you use us for your glory? Lord, you've called us, Lord, you've equipped us. I pray that you do that transforming work in our lives. You'd anoint us with your spirit. And then help us, Lord, to live consecrated, holy lives set apart for your use. We thank you and we praise you, Lord, for your love and your grace. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Let's stand and close the worship song.